Hey everyone, welcome to the Hug Church Podcast. You're listening to episode number 24. I wanted to remind you that we're hosting a ton of summer events for Summer Hugs, with four events that will be going on each month. So remember that this Friday on June 14th at 7pm, Eddie will be hosting a men's barbecue at our Fullerton home, and I'll be hosting a ladies gathering next Wednesday, June 19th at 7pm at Twisted Vine in downtown Fullerton. So head to HugChurch.com for all the details and to RSVP to let us know you'll be joining. Well, today I have a very special treat for you. One of our former pastors, Angela Yee, was visiting the OC area after having relocated to Chicago. So here's Eddie introducing our friend, Angela. One of the things that I am most proud of, I get the most joy when I see people become who they are truly meant to be. I don't know if anything gives me as much of a dopamine hit other than when Eric leads worship, okay? Then when I see someone fully step into who they are truly meant to be. And today, we actually have someone here that has come out of hug and stepped into who she was truly meant to be. Or at least a little closer to it, okay? And and that person is Angela Yee, who is Daniel's mother. And she can just sit there because I still have some stuff to say about uh, Angela. Angela... When I see her and when I, when, I, when I saw her, not to say that no one else saw this, but when I see Angela, I see someone incredible. I see someone so gifted. I see someone who can compete at the highest level in ministry. And I thought everyone was so foolish to not see how capable, how amazing, how powerful this woman is as a leader, as a shepherd, as a, as a coach. And when she wanted to help hug before its one-year launch, or before even the one, before we started launching, I felt that God just, I won the lottery with, with Angela and her help. And I am so proud to say that Angela was, hug, it's going to go down in history that Angela Yee was Hug's very first executive pastor. That's a big deal, by the way. And if, and, if, and if power and titles were not enough for her, it was one micro step in God's cosmic plan that she was on a very short list by the president of our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, to be the number two in the denomination, the executive director of ministry development, which is the second most powerful person in the denomination. And Angela was chosen to be interviewed and tapped to be that person. And now she is changing the world, changing hundreds of thousands of churches and congregations, and we are proud to say that she came out of hug. So I want to ask you to uh, uh, applaud and join me in welcoming up Angela Yee. She's going to give us a great message here. She will not disappoint. She's amazing, and I love her, and I haven't seen her in so long, and I'm so, yes, yes, here you go. I, I, you got to take this away from me. Thank you. I'm just a normal person. Eddie's just way too kind. (laughs) It's so great to be with you, as Eddie said. We moved to Chicago, and uh, we've been in there. So right when we moved, we hit the polar vortex, which was negative 20 degrees below zero. And fortunately, God was gracious because we happened to be in California that week. So it was perfect. (laughs) So I am so delighted to be back. 
Uh, I just said my uh, kids, Daniel and Megan, attend here. We consistently hear wonderful things, and so excited that um, you know God, what God is doing here through this church and in your lives. And so today, as we um, continue in this success series, we're going to be talking more about spiritual success. Okay, so I know that, um, well, anyway, we'll go ahead and get started, but let's go ahead and pray first, okay? Lord, we come before you, and we're so grateful for your love, Lord, and uh, the things that we go through in life. Sometimes there's great joys, and sometimes there's huge struggles. Lord, thank you so much for being there in the midst of the entire spectrum of the experiences of life. Thank you for showing us today what success looks like in your eyes. And so as we look into your word, Lord, I just ask that your spirit would be guiding our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there's times in life when there's something that happens that just sends your life off in this totally different trajectory. And it might be something that happens that at the time might not seem all that significant, but you look back and you realize, wow, that had such great impact that it continues to influence my life today. So for me, that happened when I was a child in grade school. And at the time, I didn't think anything of it. But what happened was that in grade school, I discovered the existence of a to-do list. And it was like my life was revolutionized because no longer did I have to live in total chaos and I'm totally forgetful all the time. And so I was always forgetting my homework assignments and I was always confused and I didn't know what was going on. Now I could write everything down on a to-do list and remember it all. And I realized I loved making lists. I loved writing things down I had to do. I loved checking things off the list. And if I did something that I didn't have on my list, I'd go write it down, and then I would check it off the list. Does anybody else do anything like that? Or maybe it's just me. I'm just weird. So I'm, I just discovered I love, love, loved to make lists, and I love, love, love to get things done. And then over time, I discovered that there's a phrase for people like me. It's called a productivity geek. Any other productivity geeks here? Oh, yes, yes, kindred spirits. I know Eunice is a total productivity geek. I know my, my daughter as well, Megan. And so it's really fun because I love productivity. I love to listen to productivity podcasts. And I read productivity books. And I drool over productivity tools. It's just so much fun. But I know that there are some of you out there who are internally rolling your eyes at me. Because the theme verse for your life is John 3.8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And I so admire you because you can be spontaneous. And I've tried so hard to be spontaneous. In fact, I'm really proud of myself because now when I go to Starbucks, if they're out of chai tea, I can go with black tea. I know it's a really, really big stretch, but I'm so proud at how far I've come. Well, imagine my surprise when a while back I took the StrengthsFinder uh, assessment. Does, has anyone taken StrengthsFinder? Some of you are familiar with that. So I ended up in one of my top five of all things, a ranger. Any other rangers here? 
know the range? Okay, so a ranger is a person who is able to shift variables around in the moment, which is kind of like being spontaneous, right? So I was like really surprised, like what? How could this be? And then I realized it's because I can do that because I already have a plan in place, right? So if I have a plan, I can move some things around because in the end, the plan is still there. So I just love to plan. I'm totally a planner. But you know what is so frustrating? God never follows my plans. I spent all this time making these meticulous plans of everything I want to do, and it's like he doesn't even pay attention to it. He just kind of goes off and does his own thing. It doesn't seem to matter that I would really like an orderly life. No, it doesn't work out that way. Well, I think that's sometimes what happens when we think about success. We have this idea of what success should be. It's, I want to have a certain job. I want to be in this kind of relationship. I want to meet a financial goal. I want to get a certain degree or kind of training or education. That's kind of our idea of what success is like. But if I look back at my life, very few things have turned out the way that I've ever planned. And so what I've realized is that success looks a little bit different when it comes to looking at things from a spiritual perspective. So today, we are going to be looking at the story of the Apostle Paul, or Saul, as he would known before he became an apostle. And Saul was a man with a plan. Because Saul, I mean, talk about success. He hit everything. He got, like, the highest law degree of his time. He studied under the greatest professor of his time. He was top of the class. I can't remember, magna cum laude, summa cum, you know, really, really high up there, right? And so he followed the law to the letter. He never broke any laws. I mean, he was almost like perfect in those days. And so Saul, he made it his personal mission. If he had any whiff of heresy from anybody, he was going to personally stomp it out. So he started hearing about this person called Jesus. He like, died and rose from the dead and said he was God. I mean, what is this? This is obviously heretical. And so Saul's mission was to get rid of all these people who were perpetuating all of these lies. So he had a big list of things to do to stop this. Find Jesus' disciples. Check. Persecute Jesus' disciples and throw them in jail. Check. Execute gross offenders check. A few chapters earlier, we actually see that at the death of the first martyr, Stephen, Saul was there giving approval for his death. And so as we start Acts 9, we find Saul is zealously carrying out his plan. He's toting around his checklist. He's trying to stomp out followers of Jesus. Okay, so let's go ahead and start with verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest that's the top authority, and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. 
They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. He was totally blind. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. Oh, go back. Yep, okay, so we're going to end right there. So here we find that Saul is on his way, on his rampage, in trying to track down all of these wayward people in his eyes. But suddenly there's this flash of lightning, and all of a sudden he finds himself just lying on his back, stunned. And of all things, the very person he thought was a fraud starts speaking to him. He hears the voice of Jesus. This is where Paul's life is totally turned upside down because he had thought Jesus was a lie, and it turned out Jesus was God. So everything has been upended, and Saul realizes that his outward, spiritual, his outward physical blindness parallels his inward spiritual blindness. This is a 180 moment, and maybe you've experienced some of that. You know, you're just going around, going along in life, along your merry way, and everything's fine. And all of a sudden, bam, something hits you that changes the trajectory of your life. Something that you realize has totally changed your worldview of everything going on, and it's really, really hard to understand what's happening because this is kind of a new and unexpected reality. So it's really difficult to be in those times. It often doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If you look at other people in the Bible, I mean, Job, he struck with illness and all his kids die. He never finds out why. And Jonah, the book of Jonah, he's a prophet. He ends up sulking and angry at God because God didn't do what he wanted. And then we've got Moses. Moses toils for decades and decades leading all these rebellious and obstinate and difficult people towards the promised land. He finally gets on a hill. He sees the promised land, and then he dies. This totally offends our sense of what is right This is so frustrating because it's like this cosmic plot twist and feel like it's not fair. Where's the Disney happy ending that we all really want? So when your life is upended, it can cause you to question your view of God. And there's so many emotions to process. Be disappointment, frustration, anger, doubt. I grew up in a family where my dad was a pastor. And so our whole life was going to church. I have such great memories of going to church. I just love church. And so as an adult, I joined church and just loved being with people. But what happened was that at one church, there ended up being this major, major conflict. And we didn't have anybody older to kind of shepherd us through that. And so we did all sorts of hurtful things to each other and really damaged a lot of relationships. And I just remember thinking, God, these are all people like we all love you. How could you allow such a horrible thing to happen? I thought you were good. This is not good. And so I fell into a depression because my view of God as this good and gracious father that blesses children all the time didn't match with the reality. So that is what happens at times. When we go through these 180 moments, we don't understand what is happening. And that was what happened to Saul. So he's just lying on his back, stunned. In those moments, God allows them to happen, but he doesn't want us to stay there. 
His intent was not for Saul to just continue to stay there, feeling totally stunned. He allows them because he wants to give us an even greater picture of who he is, greater understanding that he has a bigger plan that we may not understand. He allows these moments so that we could understand his sovereignty over our lives. And so Saul here is lying on the ground, and God says to him, get up and go. And so this is one of the keys to spiritual success. It's in those moments, asking ourselves, are we going to listen to God when he says, get up and go? And some of you might be at that standstill right now. You might be lying there on your back, needing to make a decision. Are you going to stay where you are, or are you going to get up and go? Listening to what God's spirit is saying for the very next step that he wants you to take in your life. And so what you need to do is to step out of what you're doing. That's something to show you here. And this is what Saul was being asked to do. To make a U-turn. The thought of making a U-turn can be really intimidating. Because when you're going around that hairpin turn, you don't know what's ahead. You're walking blind. And it's not until you round the corner that you get a better sense of why it is that God is asking you to do what he wants you to do. So this means utter trust in God and how he directs. It means giving up your sense of safety or security or comfort, your habits, and even your life. And so the question is, do you need to take a U-step turn to take that step of obedience for what God is asking you to do? Well, some of you are not in this camp. Because sometimes it's not this dramatic 180 that you have to do where you have to change everything that you're doing in your life. So we're going to be looking a few verses down at another person in this story. This person has to make a choice, but it's not as dramatic of a shift that Saul had to make. And his name is Ananias. And he's a disciple. He's just kind of going along his merry way, we presume. We don't really know a whole lot about him other than, next verse, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. All we know about him was that he was well-respected, He was a follower of Jesus, devout observer of the law. That's it. So Ananias' plans get changed too. So let's see what's happening with Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Street Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. 
So Ananias went to the house and entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So out of the blue, Ananias going along his merry way, and suddenly he gets this directive from God to do something that's totally unheard of. He cannot believe what he's saying. God wants him to go lay hands on Saul and pray for him. But Ananias thinks this is a really bad idea. I mean, God, don't you know what you're asking? Haven't you heard of Saul? I mean, the discord hashtag trending posts out there are saying there's this terrorist guy named Saul, and he's going around, and he's persecuting people and throwing them in jail and getting them killed. God, how could you want me to do something like that? It's so risky. It's so scary. So sometimes it's a bit baffling to hear things like this from God, isn't it? When he asks you to do something that just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I mean, who in their right mind would move from southern, southern, uh, sunny Southern California, where 60 degrees is freezing, over to Chicago in the dead of winter? Like, that just doesn't make any sense, right? So to outsiders, that might look totally insane. But this is what God calls us to do, is to step out in courage when he wants us to make that step. And what we did was nothing compared to the many sacrifices other people have done, where they've given up everything, sold everything, moved across the world, moved away from their loved ones. Just this past month, a few weeks ago, we got news that a covenant pastor, a colleague of mine, was killed in India by religious extremists. And it's just so difficult to think of the sacrifice that is made for many people around the world who even give up their lives to follow Jesus. So Ananias is no dummy. He knows what God is asking him to do. God is sending him into a lion's den, asking him to lay hands on the key terrorist of his age, and nobody sane would ever do anything like that. But God gives him an unexpected answer. He says, go, go. This man is my chosen instrument. So God is not asking Ananias to make this total U-turn and to up in his life. He wants Ananias to do something else. He wants Ananias to align to merge his smaller plans into the larger plan of what God is doing and his mission. So God disciplines those he loves. Just because God loves you doesn't mean that he'll give you an easy life. And often in those moments, we have to come and think, are we willing to give up our own plans and merge into God's plans and his mission? God didn't call Ananias to go to another country. That was Saul's job. Saul was supposed to go and proclaim Jesus to all the people out there who had never heard of him before. But all Ananias had to do was go down the street and go to the house on the street and go to the man in the house on the street. It was a step to merge with what God is doing. 
but he still had to go. So whether you're called to make a 180 or to take a step to merge, you don't have to do this blindly. Because just like Jesus spoke to Paul, the Spirit speaks to us. God gives us guidance through his word, through community, through prayer. He gives you an opportunity to respond, to get asked, will you get up? Will you go? So those of you who have known me from before, maybe heard me speak, are familiar that I've just really had a very, very long road of struggle, trying to understand all these things, what did God want me to do, where he was leading me. I heard in college, relatively young age, that I felt like God was calling me to, to go to ministry. But it took me decades to figure out what that meant. And part of the reason is because I'm like 50% creative, 50% administrative, and I kind of need to do both, or I just start feeling really exhausted and tired and drained after a while, especially the creative side. So maybe it's 51% creative. But the thing with church is that churches usually hire people for administrative jobs. And so what would happen was I would end up in a church and I would end up doing just administrative stuff all the time and it would kind of suck the life out of me and then I would burn up. Well, about five or six years ago, I was serving at a covenant church up in Northern California and it finally gotten to a place where I was able to do kind of a mix of both. Over the years, I had jumped from role to role because they wanted me to wear different hats And I finally ended up in this place where I felt this new joy of pastoral ministry, able to use my gifts, and really saw that God was doing a lot of really great things. Well, that was about the time that Daniel and Megan moved down to Southern California to go to school at Azusa Pacific. And my husband and I became empty nesters for the first time, and we were like, we miss our kids. And so my husband, who's a professor, said, hey... How about, like, what if I look for a job in Southern California and we move down to be closer to my kids? And I was like, ha, 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 that's so funny. And then I didn't think anything of it. I thought he was joking. Well, suddenly, out of the blue, we got a phone call. And it was Azusa Pacific asking Albert if he would want to come and interview for a professor job. And Albert also had contacts at Biola, And so they also had a position and wanted to interview him. And now it wasn't funny anymore. Because now I was faced with the reality that my husband was going to interview with two places. And I knew he was a really good candidate. All these times we had moved. I actually counted it up last week, and I think we've moved, we've lived in 11 homes or something like that, 12 homes. So we were just tired of moving. We didn't want to move anymore. And finally, I was in this place of ministry where I was just like loving the ministry and loving the people, and everything was just going so well. So why in the world would God want us to pick up and move? I didn't understand it. And then I prayed. All those years of struggle, of just wondering, God, is this really the place you want me to be in? Do you want me to leave? Every time I prayed that, God would say, stay, stay, stay. It was unmistakable. But when I started to pray about this opportunity for Albert, I started to get more and more alarmed. Because all of a sudden, all these sermons I heard kept saying, go. And the Bible passages I read kept saying, go. And even billboards and TV shows would say things like, now is time for you to go. 
It was like everybody was conspiring against me. I did not want to go. Northern California was where our family was, our friends, all our memories, our jobs, everything was in Northern California. And then our kids called and they said, oh, there's a fire on the hills by the school. I was like, oh no. And then a little later they called, they said, there's a bomb threat in the college right next door. I was like, what? And then a little later they said, there was an earthquake. I was like, why would we want to go to Southern California, a place where there's fires and bombs and earthquakes? That doesn't make any sense. Well, I had read the story of Paul's conversion for years and years. But one day, as I was praying and I was complaining to God, this passage in Acts 9 stood out to me. I don't know why I had never noticed before. But in verse 6, God says to Saul, now get up and go. And I realized that I was lying on the ground throwing my little spiritual temper tantrum saying, God, I don't want to go. How could you call this of us? Why would you want us to do this? I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I was being immature and selfish. But the next phrase was what really stood out to me the most. Get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And I realized SoCal was a city. I didn't like cities. I had been here before. All I remember was cars, congestion, and crowds, and concrete. I did not want to come to SoCal. I didn't like cities. But God was saying, go into the city. And all of my thoughts and fears about how in the world would I ever find a job down here, God was saying, you will be told what you must do. And so finally, I said, okay, Lord, I'll go. And Albert ended up getting both jobs, and we discerned that God was leading him to Biola, and so we picked up and moved down here. And that was such a hard transition. It's moving away from all of our family, closer to the kids, but the rest of our family up north, and our community, everything that we knew. And I couldn't find a job. We didn't have any friends down here. We didn't know anybody. It was really lonely, and I was very frustrated. But Albert said, you know, don't worry about finding a job. We're just going to trust God. Let's just find a church that we love. And so we ended up at a very, very large church in this area. And then I eventually ended up on staff there. And it was such an amazing experience as I served under really healthy leaders and saw what a very healthy, missional, growing church looked like. And then as a result of that, I ended up in a position of helping to run this campus, and so I got all this experience. And then after that, then God led me to go into church leadership consulting, got to serve lots and lots of different churches in different contexts and help equip and train leaders. And then God led me to meet Eddie and Eunice and get involved in the starting of HUG and serving as executive pastor. Uh, and so because of that, then I ended up on this list of executive pastors. And also because with the leadership consulting, I ended up getting hired by a Chicago office for a project. And as a result of that, then my name for multiple reasons got recommended to the president. And so that was kind of how the long roundabout story of how I ended up at Covenant offices in Chicago. But way, way, way back, when I was in Northern California, throwing my little temper tantrum, I had no idea what God had in store. And even looking, before, looking ahead, I don't know what's in store in the future. 
You know, just because we take that step of faith and say, okay, God, I'm going to do this merge or I'm going to do this U-turn, it doesn't mean that everything is sunshine and lollipops and roses. Moving to Chicago has been really, really hard. We really miss our kids. It's so great to see them again. So great to be back here with all of you. But what God asks is not so much the size of the step we take, but that we're willing to take it. And so that's the question I have for you today. Are you willing to take a U-turn, to merge into what he's asking you to do? Because that truly is spiritual success. It's keeping in step with the spirit. It's walking that path of obedience. And we see in the story what happens ultimately. Go ahead and pull up the next verse. Saul spent several days with the the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Wow, what a change, right? Like verse 1, he's out there persecuting people. He thinks everything's a lie. And now he is out there preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. And God ultimately uses him to plant churches everywhere. He's writ- he writes so much of our New Testament. I'm like, what would, what would, where would we be without, without Saul or later Paul? But Ananias couldn't have known that way back. Saul couldn't have known that way back. But God knew. And so that is what he's asking us to do, is to trust in him and his greater plan. Okay, so I want to ask the worship team to come up. And then um, as they set up and and play, let's go ahead and and pray. Lord, we come before you today, and we acknowledge that we don't always get you. You know, what you do sometimes doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, and it can be really baffling and frustrating and disappointing when the plans that we have don't work out the way that we want. But God, thank you so much that you are utterly trustworthy. Thank you that we can look to you and know that in this moment of confusion where we may not have a lot of clarity, God, that you do have a bigger plan. You are the master planner. So we look to you, and I ask, Lord, for each person here, you know where they're at. You know that next step that you want them to take. And I do ask that you would give clarity and give us the courage to keep in step with what you are doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we want to invite you to stay connected with us. Find us on Instagram at HugChurch or at HugChurch.com. Until next week, a huge hug from Eddie and myself.